welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Do you ever find yourself at the end of the week, whether your week was filled with parenting children or just doing your absolute best to stay focused while working from home? Maybe it was a very busy week or a week that had the ability for you to waste away a lot of hours on social media and Netflix. But as you reflect back on this week or this day or this season, you can look back and think, man, I didn't really need to rely on God for anything this week. Or it might feel like you weren't experiencing or aware of his presence. Or maybe it's just a reflection of, I didn't even share the hope of Jesus with anyone recently. This hit me last week in my own relationship with Jesus. It was a normal week of quarantine in Long Beach, and I just was feeling rather low. And as I was reflecting back, I just saw how even through the last few weeks, I've just become so comfortable. Um, Everything just feeling a bit mundane. And I realized in so many ways, I was not seeking God's presence. And yes, I was having my quiet time and my morning devotional, but I wasn't inviting God into the rest of my day or relying on Him or taking any risks. It's what I believe these weeks, days, or seasons where we will become not full of sin or corruption, but we will, um, we will become comfortable, distracted, complacent. And maybe on the surface, things don't seem quite so threatening to our walk to Jesus, but I can't help to think if we don't align ordinary, everyday moments to the mission and vision of God's kingdom, then we miss out on what God wants to do in our lives. There's a chance that our faith could become stagnant, complacent, dead. So what do we do when we become too comfortable in our faith? Is comfortability even a bad thing? Is there room for any amount of comfortability or is it a threat to our life with Jesus? Turn with me to Revelation 3 verses 1 through 6 where the Apostle John writes to the church of Sardis. And when John writes this pastoral letter, remember he's imprisoned on the island of Patmos. He has a vision of Jesus. So these words are John's um, letter to the church of Sardis, but it's Jesus speaking to the church. Revelation 3. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
To really understand what is happening here in this letter, we need to unpack the context and the history of the Church of Sardis. The Church of Sardis was the largest of seven churches that John wrote to. Sardis was the oldest and most important city, um, one of the oldest and most important cities of Asia Minor. And until 549 BC, it was the capital of the kingdom of Lydia. The actual city of Sardis was built high on a mountain where it was well protected. And below on the mountain was a river that also served for protection and barriers from their enemies. So the city was wealthy, protected, and not undergoing religious persecution like the other churches were. If you lived in Sardis, it's likely that you would feel safe, comfortable, protected, important, proud. To me, if Sardis was a church in 2020, it would be a very well-organized and very well-operated church in an affluent area. It would have lots of activities and events and a buffet of ministries for you to choose from, all, of course, with foundation um, with a foundation of sound doctrine. And pre-COVID, their large building would have a packed attendance every week. Others would look at this church and see all the busyness, see all the activity, and think, wow, that church is alive. I want to be at that church. But yet we see something is just not right. Something is happening here under the surface that has Jesus saying, I know you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Right away we're clued in that to Jesus being active doesn't mean that you are alive. A church filled with busyness doesn't always mean that the spirit is at work. A life filled with religion and religious motions doesn't mean that you are experiencing the full life that Jesus offers. You see, Jesus is having the church of Sardis peel back and see what's actually happening beneath the surface. And while he was doing this to the church of Sardis, I think it's a moment for us to allow Jesus to peel back some of the layers that we've put up and ask ourselves, what areas of our life seem alive, but are actually dead? It could be your generosity and your finances. Maybe it's a relationship, whether a relationship with your spouse, um, when asked, how's your marriage? You just, everything's fine. Um, But really there's some work to do there. Maybe it's a relationship with a kid, a friend, it could be even just your work and your purpose and what's, what's um, making you dream right now. I think Jesus wants to meet you here and bring about life. And this has me thinking sometimes we use the wrong metrics to see whether something is alive and thriving and working. And we don't use the metrics of the world to see if things are alive. We use the kingdom me- metrics. Sometimes what we think is alive might actually be dead and what we think is dead could actually bring about life. Ask Jesus to show you what needs reviving in your life. And in his kindness, I believe he will bring it back to life. Now notice again that this church is not being accused by Jesus or others of being corrupt or full of sin. 
Remember, they have a reputation of being alive. But rather, it appears that it's, the church has lost its purpose, its mission, its vision. It's lost its dependence on God. You know, Sardis as a city was built in a way that if they just kept watch and stayed alert, they could prevent attack. However, in its history, Sardis was successfully overthrown and attacked twice because of its failure to keep watch at night. I wonder if that's the same with our relationship with God. What happens when we don't keep watch? When we feel safe and protected and comfortable? What can we learn from this letter? How do we know if we have become comfortable, asleep, or even dead in our faith like this church? Or if you're like me, you might even want to know, what's the big deal about being comfortable? Well, some things that I've identified is when our comfortability prevents us from keeping watch, we often find that Jesus is no longer at the center of our life. Our lives tend to become compartmentalized where we only invite Jesus in to certain areas of our life. You can come into my work, but not my finances. You can come into my relationship with my friends, but not my boyfriend. Whatever it is, we'll compartmentalize the, the, um, what we give Jesus access to. We'll also find that our priorities tend to shift when Jesus is not the center of our life. And so my encouragement is for us to take an audit of our resources, our time, our money, our thoughts, our relationships, and really ask, where is Jesus in all of it? Second, comfortability keeps us relying on ourselves and not the Spirit. As a friend of the gardens once said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is risk. And if you're like me, when you are comfortable and everything is going great, that's not normally when you take a risk. (laughs) Comfortability will not lead to risk. Comfortability keeps us from saying, God, your will be done. Comfortability makes us say, my will be done, my way. And lastly, comfortability um, keeps us from moving towards the lost. Comfortability keeps us from sharing the good news and hope of Jesus to the world all around us. So what do we do when we realize I've kind of become a little too complacent or a little too comfortable? Well, when Jesus writes this letter, um, when Jesus, what he says to the church of Sardis through John is he gives five commands. Wake up, strengthen what remains, remember what you've received and heard, keep it, and fifth, repent. So let's walk through those five commands. The first one is Jesus commands the church of Sardis to wake up. Think about it. When do you need to wake up? When you're asleep or when you're not active, when you're not aware and someone, maybe they're trying to help you realize a point and they say, wake up, don't you get it? We need to wake up when everything feels safe and secure and we're not um, aware of what's happening around us. um, In the Church of Sardis, their comfortability kept their residents and their armies from being alert and on watch for an attack. And in the same way, Jesus is telling his church, your comfortability is keeping you from being alert and aware of what's happening around you. So look around. 
wake up, take inventory, be on alert. The second command is strengthen what remains. And he goes on to say, for I have found your deeds unfinished. Some things might have faded away, but what I love is Jesus says, strengthen what remains. What remains in your faith right now? Is it morning prayer, Sabbath, time in scripture? Because even if you're going through a really rough season and maybe it feels like God is far away, there's still something that's keeping you clinging on to him. And whatever that is, we're told strengthen it, hold on to it, strengthen what remains. Don't let it go. Don't let it die. Foster it. Make time for it, whatever it is. Our relationship with Jesus should be continuously growing. Many in Sardis had begun their discipleship to Jesus, had made some sort of commitment or proclamation or confession that Jesus is Lord, but they weren't maturing or growing in their discipleship. And that's what many scholars believe why Jesus was saying, um, your deeds are unfinished. In other translations, the, um, the verse, instead of saying unfinished, it says, I have found your deeds, um, I have not found your deeds completed. And the word completed means mature, perfect, equipped for the assigned task. And so as disciples of Jesus, we need to do the deep work of maturing and growing in our faith, not letting our personal growth be defined by things like how many Sunday services we've attended. I feel like in culture right now, there's a total fear of commitment. Maybe it's just me, but it seems like there's this fear of going all in and putting yourself all out there. I remember, um, okay, here we go. I remember when I was young, there was this popular Christian song by a Christian group, DC Talk. Anybody? I think there's also a book. Well, the song was Jesus Freak. And I think for quite a few years, there was this like era, this culture around identifying as a Jesus freak, that you were saying, I am all in for Jesus, regardless of what others think of me. But it seems like that era is gone. And now we have this like hesitancy to even say if we are a Christian, we are hesitant and would not want to be labeled today as a Jesus freak. No, we want to be the cool non-offensive, comfortable to be around Christian who's not like those Christians over there. But church, (laughs) it's probably better to have a reputation as a Jesus freak than it is to have Jesus tell you you have a reputation of being alive but are actually dead. The third command that Jesus gives is remember what you've received and heard. Many New Testament scholars believe what Jesus is referring to here when he says received is the Holy Spirit. There are countless times in the New Testament where the word received is directly correlated to the Holy Spirit. And this makes total sense here because if the church of Sardis has a reputation um, of being alive but are actually dead, what Jesus is saying here is remember what you've received, the Holy Spirit, because a church filled with the Holy Spirit is far from a dead church. A church filled with God's presence is a living church. A life filled with the Holy Spirit is a a life being lived. At the moment of belief in our Savior, we're given two powerful 
and beautiful gifts that we then get a steward and give away. And the two gifts are his spirit and his word. And when um, Jesus says, remember what you've received and heard, it's believed that he's referring directly to the Holy Spirit and his word. What have you, what you've heard is the gospel, the good news. Remember it, that Jesus Christ, the, the son, the, the son of God, God himself came and lived a perfect life on earth. He was the perfect image bearer of what it means to be human and what it means to be made in the image of God. Through and out of love, he sacrificed himself on a Roman cross. But he didn't, he didn't, he died, but then he defeated sin and death through his resurrection. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and we know in Scripture and cling to the belief that he will come again and his kingdom will have no end. This is what we've heard. This is the good news. And Jesus is reminding his church, remember, remember the Holy Spirit remember the word. The fourth command is keep it. Don't let go. We know that as disciples of Jesus, we've received the Holy Spirit, but tend to be leaky people. We need continual filling of God's living presence. We need to be baptized, immersed, saturated, marinated in his spirit. In John 15, Jesus tells us to remain in him, which means to make our home in him. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we actually believe that? That there's nothing, that nothing can be done apart from Jesus? I tend to want to argue with Jesus a little bit about that and think that I do a pretty good job of doing things on my own. At least I try to do a lot on my own. But what I think Jesus is getting at here is that life is created, sustained, and will live eternally through him. And so if anything we do in this world that is going to last eternally, it has to be built on his spirit. If it's not built with Jesus, it's going to pass away. It's going to fade. It needs the breath of life to flourish. And the moment we think we've got this whole thing down and we can do it on our own ability, our own strength, our own resources, we're already missing it. Remember, it's the poor in spirit. That's the entrance to the kingdom. What we have is not enough to experience life the way we are made to. That's why Jesus says, come to me, (laughs) and with him we can do all things. And imagine if we believed really nothing could be built, sustained, or completed without Jesus. So hold fast to his spirit. Be filled with his spirit. Hunger for it. The fifth command Jesus gives is repent. And now, this is not about asking for forgiveness or receiving forgiveness, In the New Testament, the word repent is about realigning your entire life to Jesus's life and mission. It's a complete change of mind, change of attitude, change of direction. I was going this way, but now I'm going this way. Identify the ways in your life that you're not fully aligned with the mission and vision of God's kingdom and realign them. Turn away from the things that might feel like comfort in the moment 
but will eventually lead to a life of death. This passage in Revelation is so striking too because it feels like Jesus is speaking with such urgency. He wants his disciples to be alert, to be watchful, to be awake. And in the Gospels, we have accounts of Jesus using really similar language. If you turn to Matthew 24, 42, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Matthew 24, 44. So you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Matthew 25, 13. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Luke 12, 35. Be dressed, ready for service, keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants who master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. As Darren and Bill have laid out for us so clearly already, the book of Revelation was written to encourage disciples, discipleship to Jesus, and their devotion to Jesus amongst a world that is worshiping and devoted to the beast. And so as disciples of Jesus, we read that our discipleship means living a watchful life, knowing that every moment matters. The world and the enemy would like us just to sit back, get comfortable, and take a passive approach on living, just going through religious motions or ordinary business. But do you know you were created for a purpose? God wants to partner with you to bring his way of life wherever you are. Even now, in quarantine, social distanced, hopefully with a mask on, Jesus wants to use you to bring his way of life. And that's why every moment matters. Jesus came to offer us life and life abundantly. And it's his spirit that brings life. And when we become unaware of his presence, get comfortable and let our pride keep us from depending on our creator, we're going to miss out on life and inviting others into that life. Life with Jesus means life of discomfort, life of reliance on him, life of risk empowered by his spirit, life of urgency and purpose and alertness. In his book, Crazy Love, Francis Chan says, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we would be in trouble if he doesn't come through. It's an everyday choice to live a life of discomfort. And what we see in Jesus is he concludes his address to Sardis by saying, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes or in other words, that have remained pure. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says. Jesus leaves us and leaves the church of Sardis with a promise and a hope 
that those who are truly alive will be with Jesus for eternity, walking with him. Their names will remain in the book of life forever. And it says he will acknowledge that person before his father. So some closing questions that I have for us from this letter. The first one is, what place does Jesus occupy in my life currently? And now that can feel like really maybe broad. So to narrow it down a little bit, what does the crucified Jesus um, occupy in your life? What place does the resurrected Jesus occupy in your life? and all of his power. What does the coming Jesus occupy? And with that, does the idea that we see in this text, the idea of Jesus returning like a thief in the night unexpectedly, does that bring joy and hope or does that bring fear and terror? Another question I have is if Jesus were to take away his spirit, would we notice? Would we notice in our church? Would we notice in our homes? Would we notice in our own lives? And if we did notice a difference, would we just keep doing what we've always done, resume scheduled programming? And lastly, when was the last time you felt so alive, so connected with Jesus, that you just couldn't help but share the hope of Jesus with those around you? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this text. And I thank you that you're so kind that you speak to us through your word. And so, God, I just bless um, everyone watching right now, my brothers and my sisters. I just pray that you would wake us up, that you would um, just reveal to us the things in our lives that we think are alive but might actually be dead. And I just pray that right now you'd pour out your spirit that you'd fill us afresh, that you'd create in us a hunger and a desire for your presence. And I pray that you would um, just stir in our hearts a desire to share the hope and love of Jesus with those around us. So God, we just bless um, Garden Church. We bless those listening. And we just pray, um, yeah, that you would use us to bring your way of life everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.